Hello and welcome to another installment of Bar Talk Podcast, bringing you everything you need to know about law via discussions, interviews, and news updates. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Omaha Bar Association Bar Talk Podcast. I am your Executive Director, Dave Summers, and here today I have John Slobacek of Slobacek Albers Family Law Firm here in Omaha. John is a longtime Omaha Bar Association member, but he also has done some association work for a national organization for family law attorneys, and we want to talk to him about that today. We want to talk about his journey to where he's at today and get to know him a little bit more. So welcome, John. Good morning. Um, first, for the listeners, could you give us a little bit of your story, your background, where you were born and raised, how you got to Omaha? I grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, and graduated from high school in, in Sioux City. And uh, after high school, went to a local college in Sioux City called Briarcliff College. I graduated from college not really knowing what I wanted to do, so I went to law school and ended up in Omaha have been here ever since. And for some of our older listeners who remember the names of, of uh, firms of yesteryear and, and your journey through Omaha, um, what, what law firms have you been in since you've been out in practice? When I graduated from school, um, I was actually pretty young. I went through college in three years and went through law school in roughly two years, two and a quarter years, something like that. So I was, uh, I think I just turned 23 when I graduated from, from uh, law school. And I, didn't, I couldn't find a job in large part because they were, people weren't hiring at that point in time. It was December of 1973 and um, Classes were small and I was a mid-year student graduating at that time, so it was out of sync with the normal hiring practices. Uh, I started working for the county and uh, I worked for a few months doing child support collection and then I started working in the juvenile court prosecuting child abuse, child abuse and neglect. I did that for a couple of years and then in May of 19... 76, I think so I would have been out two and a half years at that point in time. I went to work for a law firm called Star and Star and uh, stayed there for a couple of years. That firm eventually um, folded and merged into the Erickson Cedarstrom law firm where I was for 10 years. Then in 1989 I left that law firm and uh, was kind of a sole practitioner for a couple of years and ended up with the Lieben Witted firm in 1991 and have been here ever since. Great. And your office is located, this is the Schooler building where a lot of our listeners know the Barristers event is every year and, and you've been here since 1991, this location? In this location, yes. I guess I should have said that uh, when I joined the Lieben Witted firm, uh, we went through a couple of name changes over the years and then in 2013 the Lieben Witted firm uh, we split and some of my part then partners went to the Exarban area I stayed downtown 
and it was really a situation where the family law lawyers all stayed in our what we called our old space in the schooler building and the others went to the Exarban Village area and have been practicing law and they were the estate planning lawyers, the transaction lawyers and the civil litigators. And it was, um, it, uh, as a divorce lawyer I'd say, it was a very amicable split and everybody was able to, we were very good friends and it was very um, kind and gentle so to speak. And, it's um, not always it, the case, is it? <laughs> not always the case with law firm breakups and uh, this ours was very pleasant and everybody, we just had different, um, not never necessarily different agendas, but different um, plans for our future because the family law arena was entirely different than what the other guys were doing and we had to be close to the courthouse. They wanted to be out closer to some of their clients, so it was a very natural split. And have you been practicing family law ever since um, you, you got out and were doing the juvenile court and child collections um, or have you had some varying areas of practice over the years? Well, when I got out of school and I went with the Star and Star Law Firm, I did a little bit of everything. I um, had a, with F.A. Gossett, when he was county attorney in Fremont, he and I had a first degree murder case at, oh. at one point, but it was, it never went anywhere. It was a case that was ultimately dismissed. But uh, the practice in those days, I did a little bit of everything, a lot of eviction work, uh, our offices at the time were at 84th and Dodge. We were right across the hall from P.J. Morgan, and P.J. Morgan was a, was a the um, real estate guy in town. So we represented P.J. and all of his young people at that point, who have since evolved into the John Lund Company and um, a couple of other major companies here in town. So they were all clients back in the early days. So the practice was probably 50% divorce and then 50% doing other things. Um, and that carried over to the Erickson Cedarstrom firm where my practice was 50% divorce and 50% that we then called computer law. Uh, Virgil Johnson, who was representing Applied Communications, got me involved helping him uh, do work for the um, Applied Communications company, so we would, I helped Virgil write contracts and do things of that area. So it was very intense, very intellectual, um, very, um, very much different than what the divorce practice was like. Mm -hmm. And I did that until one day Virgil pulled me aside and said, well, you ought to go do something you really enjoy, which is practicing law, being a divorce lawyer, as opposed to doing computer law. But, sure. Um, I, I've done a little bit of everything over the years. And, and so, um, when you were saying computer law, that's, that's leasing computers the size of this office, yeah. right? Things like that? Well, we now call it intellectual property. Okay. But back in those days, um, Applied Communications um, started the ATM business in um, the world. Mm -hmm. So, the, each contract was individually written for each individual bank. Everything now is kind of shrink-wrapped. Shrink uh, the whole concept has changed, but yeah, the computers were huge, and um, they were. It was an entirely different world, and um, the computer people wanted us wanted individual contracts. The banks wanted individual contracts. We were struggling trying to figure out what it was, um, and actually, in nineteen, uh, let's see, it'd probably be nineteen seventy or nineteen eighty-five, we went to the first computer law 
contract seminar put on in the United States in San Francisco. And um, you know, it, it was really all cutting edge things back in those days. So it was very interesting to be involved in that. Yeah. Um, well, getting into how things have changed, how do you see the family law practice and how it's changed over the years, uh, given that you've been practicing in this area for 40 years? How do you, have you seen that evolve? A large number of cottage interest industries have popped up uh, because of the changes in the law. When I first started doing divorce work, it was just the lawyers. We didn't have therapists. We didn't have counselors. We didn't have um, anywhere near the intricacies that exist today. Uh, we would generally not do very much discovery. We would go in and try a case sometimes with just couple pieces of paper and um, try it in half a day and that'd be the end of it. Uh, so it has evolved into the major civil litigation that we have. It's gotten much more expensive. Um, everybody goes to counselors today. Everybody hires an accountant. Uh, we have business valuation experts. We have custody experts. We have um, people sometimes who are necessary and sometimes who are unnecessary. Um, but it has evolved into, you know, what used to be maybe a half-day trial is now a three-day trial. Um, so it's an entirely different type of litigation, and it's much more intense. People are much more angry, and um, I, I guess it's a different world. And I, I guess I was going to ask you if, if the clients were better off because of the changes, but you're saying that they're or maybe just they come in more angry than they were necessarily in the past when it came to divorces. They're more, they're ready for the fight now where before they were just trying to get past it. I think they were trying to get past it back then, but at the same time, divorce was not as socially acceptable as it is today. But in retrospect, when I look at the, the work that we did then versus the work that we do now, Sometimes I question the wisdom of whether we have created a bigger problem for people going through divorces. Um, granted, it, it, it was easier then, the expectations were lower, but we didn't have computers. We didn't have the ability to um, dig into the financial aspects the way we do today. Back then, there were fewer banks. Uh, back then, there were fewer financial institutions. Uh, Back then, we didn't have the retirement and pension benefits that exist today. We didn't have the federal laws that control health care and um, retirement benefits and IRS regulations. So it was an entirely different world, but at the same time, from an emotional standpoint, people were able to start the process and go through it quicker and get it over with. Mm -hmm. And it was easier, I think, for everybody, um, the lawyers and the clients, and it was much less expensive. Uh, it's now turned into major litigation, which is very expensive and uh, very intense, in large part because of the changes. And today, a divorce lawyer has to be cognizant of federal and state tax laws. We have to be aware of real estate um, laws, um, securities. Um, you, criminal law, you name the area and we touch it and we have to know about it. We didn't have to have that so much in the past. 
So you've been, as I mentioned in the opening, you've not only been a local bar uh, member and, and involved in the local bar for many years, you also have risen through the ranks of the Academy, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, uh, serving as, as the president this last year. And um, I have to ask you about that experience. What was that like? It was fascinating. And um, I got involved in that. Actually, Pam Golvier and I were talking 25 or 28 years ago about the divorce practice, how it was changing, how it was becoming more intense. And uh, we both decided we were going to get involved in the academy. And um, so we looked it up and we. And it was a national organization. Uh, it started in Chicago. And uh, we decided that we were going to get involved, go to national CLEs, and try to break our practice out and make it more um, specific. Because that's all either of us were doing at that point in time. So Pam and I uh, both took the test and made, uh, completed the application and got involved in the academy. So. She and I have kind of gone uh, through this, through the academy process together. Um, I got involved in some of the political stuff, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, I was appointed to, we were each doing various types of committee work, and um, I got on, on a couple of committees and that enabled me to get into the leadership role, and uh, it was probably a 13-year track to, from the time I started that until I became president. But I was fortunate that they selected me to be president of the organization. And uh, it was a fascinating experience. It was, um, you know, I, I guess we say that the academy lawyers are the best divorce lawyers in the country. And naturally, I mean, there are very good lawyers in the country who are not in the academy. I'd be silly to say that uh, that doesn't exist. But the people who are there uh, take a very rigorous test to get into the academy, and they are considered to be very knowledgeable, because the test is not a slam dunk. It's not something you can just sign up and say, I want to be a member. Uh, it's, so even though the test is given and the people pass it, they still have to be individually vetted by the academy and by the local chapters to get into the group. So um, there are 1,650 members in the academy right now, and uh, I, I was fortunate enough to lead them. And I, as I look at that, to me the true benefit of working with the academy or on the academy's behalf is to say I'm a Nebraska lawyer, and I, as I looked at the year that I was president and the years that I was working up to that, to promote Nebraska lawyers was the best part of the job. Absolutely. And when you and Pam joined, were there any members from Nebraska or, or were you the first two? No, there were a couple members I, um, and I can't remember when they got involved. Uh, John Ballou from Lincoln may have been a member and there were a couple of other guys. I think Steve Floodman from Lincoln was a member and Paul Galter was a member. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that those were probably the first three. They were all Lincoln lawyers. Um, Pam and I may have been the first Omaha lawyers, if I remember correctly, but that was a long time ago. I, I can't <laughs> remember that. Well, and, and I've had the pleasure of, of 
getting to know the association through your um, through your leadership and, and invitations, generous invitations to things. And I am really blown away by how involved the members are, how much time they spend, their dedication to it. And it, it really is fascinating to see these top practitioners working together really for the benefit of the entire membership of the organization. And um, I'm, I'm jealous of the involvement that you get from from the members of the academy and to lead such a involved group uh, that that takes a lot so thank you for for all that how much time do you think you spent committing yourself to, to this last year as president I mean that must have been a full-time job John it was almost a full-time job last year I if I put it on average I was probably out of the office um, every other weekend from Thursday through Sunday at meetings or CLEs or various chapter meetings for the organization. During the work week, I probably devoted four hours a day on average to the organization um, and then tried to maintain the practice. But fortunately, I have some wonderful people in my office, so it made it possible. But it was a huge time commitment. I didn't realize how much of a time commitment it was while I was doing it because it was just secondary or second nature to me. Uh, but once I quit and um, I was done with my year, I was able to reflect on it and I thought if I would have known this before I started, I may have reconsidered the, uh, the offer to be the president. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience. I you know, went all over the country, visited chapters and did a lot of CLE and um, both as a participant and as an observer of the CLE uh, and dealt with really what I consider some of the brightest lawyers in the country and um, and, and I and I would tell them and I tell the people that I, I work with that the lawyers in Nebraska can hold their head up and say that they are as good if not better than the lawyers anywhere in the country and lawyers in our community should never be shy about living in Omaha, Nebraska because the national people who come here are amazed at what we have not only from a lawyering standpoint but from our judiciary and we really do have the best and having observed all of these different states and all the different judges and all the different courts and uh, the different practices and uh, clients we really do excel and we're very, very fortunate so that when we complain about uh, the time it takes to get to court, we've got nothing to complain about. You know, we're, we're pretty lucky yeah. uh, and we're very fortunate with the quality of people we work with. When I was researching this um, for this podcast, I, I found one where you were talking about the Brad and Angelina uh, split up. You were actually on a podcast up in Minnesota uh, on a radio station. Uh, discussing that, and I, I'm guessing that there's there's probably some some of the attorneys in the academy were were working on that celebrity breakup too. <laughs> yes, you know, and in addition to I guess uh, going to all these meetings and all the stuff that I did during my year of presidency, I was interviewed uh, by radio and uh, television on a pretty regular basis. And they would always ask questions uh, as to what was happening on all these different divorces around the country. And some of them I had some intimate knowledge of because of the people who were representing people or um, some of the, what was going on. And some of them they would ask the 
bizarre questions as to why are they getting divorced, and I would be very say I don't know. You know I, <laughs> Tell me what TMZ says, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Let's talk a bit about practice in Omaha, the law practice generally in Omaha that you've seen. Um, from where it was when when you started out to where it is now, what what's changed, but what stayed the same? What were the big things that maybe we don't do anymore that we used to do that were they're good? Um, what do you think we're doing better now? I, I'd love to get your perspective on on forty years, forty plus years in practice in in this town. I think the thing that I miss the most is the bar association meetings that we had when I started. They were huge and everyone went. They, um, I, younger lawyers today probably don't have any appreciation for what they were like, but uh, they were on Thursday evenings. Um, they were either at Anthony's Restaurant, Peony Park, and um, the country club that was turned into Ironwood. I can't. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But we would we would have the Thursday evening dinner and um, program, and then people would hang around and either have cocktails before or after. Um, but it was it was a great group of people, and it was very regular. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I think the. Um, the meetings, the size of the meetings have diminished and uh, not everyone goes, which to me is a huge loss for the community uh, or for the legal community because it established a sense of camaraderie and the uh, relationships that were established were phenomenal. Now even today the relationships are good, but the bar has grown in size the demographics have changed, the genders have changed, and the relationships have changed in part because of the changes in our society and our culture. But with those changes we have lost some of the connections that were made that were really important. And those connections enabled us to practice law differently. Um, everything was with a handshake. Well, granted, we didn't have email back then that we could confirm telephone conversations and uh, we didn't have the, te the, the computerization that exists. But uh, when I started practice, um, everything was done with a handshake and your word was as good as gold or it was never to be trusted. And you were never, you never wanted to be in the situation, particularly in the area I was in, in the divorce world, of backing away from an agreement because that word got around and th that person was then, um, you, you couldn't do work with them. So uh, there's been a change in that regard, in large part because I think the camaraderie has disappeared. Now, still people are close friends and they're good acquaintances, but not the way they used to be with the friendships that existed. It's almost before technology got to where it is now, you were forced to meet people face to face. You'd go there. You'd have, oh, I have business with four people. Let's, I'll, I'll see them at the event. We'll, we'll get it done. Mm -hmm. It'll be friendly. It'll, it'll be right there. You know, we'll, it'll be efficient. 
and at the same time doing the face-to-face -face, instead of connecting over email or social media you know as friends and everything like that it, it's a different level it's it was it's, much more personal yeah it was more professional it's it's still I mean it's still the best way to connect with people to to get information from them to to build friendships is in person but there seems to be this sort of oh it'll be fine I'll do it on social media I'll talk to them on listservs for questions I'll I'll do it via a device instead of face-to-face. -face. Yeah. And I, I think that's been the biggest change, and everybody will say it's the biggest change that we've had in the practice of law. The computerization has changed the hourly building concept. Yeah. Um, it has changed the work product. It has changed the method in which we work. It has changed people being able to work from their homes. It, is, it has removed people from the interpersonal um, component to um, computerization. I think that's a huge loss. Now, I, I still adhere to the belief, particularly in the in the family law area, that it's very personal, and we're in the personal service industry, and we have to have face-to-face -face meetings, not only with our clients but with the other lawyers, and it's very important. Now, I, I will admit that at this stage, I deal with a relatively select group of people all the time. I every now and then I represent somebody that younger lawyers are involved but most of my um, contact are, is with people who are older that I've had almost lifetime relationships with. But at the same time, uh, we all practice the same and it's on a, a handshake, it's with our word. Mm -hmm. I do believe that over the years the technology has seriously affected the professionalism of our profession. It has, um, I, don't, I don't know if, it's, if we've dumbed down, but in some respects I think we have dumbed down. The, uh, the number of people who tell me why well, research this on Google um, is just amazing to me. You know, whereas when I was a young lawyer we went to the law library and we scoured the books and our desks were stacked with um, all types of volumes. Today, nobody does that. Everybody is doing all their research either online or they do their research um, through Google, which you, you may get the answer. I don't know if you get the right answer. <laughs> and you don't, uh, you don't see the intellectual depth of most of the attorneys today that existed in the past which is a true loss, I think. Absolutely. I think it's very unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the profession and it's unfortunate for the individual lawyers themselves. But at the same time, um, you know, every, we've got wonderful lawyers. We've got uh, wonderful lawyers. And the other thing that has changed is we had some real characters back in the days when I first started practicing law. And granted that may be because the alcohol laws were entirely different <laughs> back then, uh, but uh, there were some, the stories were phenomenal about the lawyers, and we don't hear those stories so much anymore, you know, that, and maybe because there's less gossip or people are um, less inclined to talk, but uh, the behavior of people was, um, it was amazing, <laughs> very I, entertaining. I like I like the, the juxtaposition there, um, you know, a bit more scholarly, but then at the same time, uh, a bit crazier on the, <laughs> on the social side. Um, uh, so 
you know, young lawyers that are listening to this, um, what what sort of advice do you have? I mean, you're you're at the top of your game nationally, locally. What what's the secret sauce, John? What what do they need to know? Uh, what can you advise them on how to maybe in forty years uh, be on this podcast and and talking about their career and how successful they become? I would say work hard, be honest, recognize that. When, when you do your job, we, it, it is a job and um, integrity is the most important thing, if not the only thing that we can say we have at the end of the day. It, um, it takes a lot of work to be successful in this profession. It's, it's very difficult. It's not easy. And you, it take, you have to put the time in. The tragedy in many respects is it does take its toll on family. Uh, I, I have always said that it's very difficult to be a successful lawyer or doctor or engineer and at the same time to be a successful family person. Uh, we are in an environment today where uh, many people are looking at work-life balance and work-life balance is absolutely wonderful, but at the same time, sacrifices are made at the professional stand at when you have that work-life balance. Uh, I, I think that um, I've been fortunate in part to be in the right spot at the right time. I, I, will, I, mean, I, I think that's really true. Um, but I have some wonderful mentors that I have been able to work with in uh, my lifetime, uh, I was lucky to work with uh, Pat Corral, who was a judge back in the old days, and he took me under his wing when he was the only judge handling domestic relations matters when I first started practicing law. So, for some reason, he liked me, uh, and he uh, he took me under his wing and um, helped me. At the same time, Steve Lusgarden took me under his wing. And uh, Steve and I maintained a friendship that um, included us virtually talking every day up until just prior to his death. And uh, we would talk about cases and um, we would ask each other for advice. I don't think young people do that so much anymore. I think people are afraid to call and say, I don't know this. Uh, and they have a tendency to either bluff or bully their way through certain circumstances. And um, I will readily admit that um, until just several years ago when Steve passed away that uh, I would call him and he would call me and we would talk about cases. And we would talk about the nuances and unique things and problems and how to handle them. And uh, that's lacking today, the mentorship. I know we have ends of court. I know that there is that concept, but young people should look to older people who have been around for a while and just kind of grab onto them and say, can I call you? Can I talk to you? Can I bend your ear? Can I buy you a drink, you know? Um, and uh, to me, that is, 
something that's beneficial and will enable people to be better lawyers and in some respects maybe better people. Absolutely. There, there is a sort of, um, uh, you, you have to have the ability to maybe admit that you don't have all the answers and that's, that's difficult. That's maybe a weakness. People see that as being weak that you don't have the answers, but it really needs to be that relationship that you admit that you're not infallible, that you don't know everything. And as long as the other side is okay with that, as long as the mentor says, listen, I'm here to help and I'm not gonna, we're not judging you right now. We're working together to make you a better attorney. I want you to be a better attorney. We all need to learn from somewhere and I'm happy to impart what I know. That's, those yeah. relationships are important. I think in one, in part, the, the benefit of being in the American Academy uh, enabled me to hang out, you know, and be around people who are really talented lawyers from around the country and, uh, and in part around the world. And everyone in that organization acknowledges we don't know it all. And anybody who's practicing law who says, I do know it all, is really dangerous. This is a, it's a changing environment. The law, particularly in the family law area that, that I'm in, changes daily. I mean, it, the things are happening today that I would never have anticipated five years ago or 10 years ago. You know, we're, um, I was fortunate that during, in the academy, we participated in an amicus brief for same-sex marriage. And I was involved in that from the beginning all the way through the end and, and watching it. And, and now we're involved in the surrogacy contracts around the world and watching that and um, trafficking of children and, and the trafficking of wives and women. And we see that and that's the sort of thing that I, I see. And if somebody would have said to me, would, you, would I be doing this today? I would have said no. And I think there are a lot of people who are just partially naive because they don't get involved in it. Um, but at the same time, by virtue of working with the people I've had the benefit of working with, everyone says, we don't know it all. And we're learning and we learn from each other. And uh, it's truly missing because the young people are not being mentored today for a lot of different reasons and a lot of people are hanging out their shingle and they hang out their shingle saying I'm going to do family law because they think it's easy and, and I, I really think it's the hardest area of law that exists and the most complex area of the law that exists but people want to make it simple and they want to dumb it down which is very very unfortunate and, but I do think young people would be well advised to reach out to people who have been practicing law for a while and ask to hang out with them or ask to be mentored by them or um, just to spend time with them and not to blow them off, which is unfortunate. And I guess I, I, I'll give you an aside as I was trying to mentor somebody or help them, I thought, and they told me I was arrogant and condescending. And I thought, you know, that's, that's really unfortunate, you know, that this person had been practicing law for two years and I'd been doing it for a long time. And I, didn't, I hope I didn't come across as being arrogant or condescending. I was trying to give some constructive criticism, but sometimes people's uh, skin is so thin that they can't take it. And, uh, 
it's a rough and tumble world and you have to be able have to be able to take constructive criticism to improve and to become better absolutely and I you know I guess it, looking at law today versus back then the judges the behavior of judges towards young lawyers or towards any lawyer uh, the judges would hammer people but with not only their decisions but with the um, opinions from the bench or comments from the bench whereas if judges today were to make the comments that were made to us when I was a young lawyer there would be an uproar of people um, complaining about their demeanor back then it was expected so today when I hear young lawyers sometimes complain about what a judge did it's like he got to be kidding me you know <laughs> uh, you want to go to a different part of the world and see what life is really like as to how judges treat people right. you know the behavior of our judiciary here to me is phenomenal compared to other parts of the country and people don't have a don't have a clue as to how fortunate they are um, and I know I sound maybe critical of people who complain but at the same time, uh, people, I think, should be really appreciative of what we have here. I mean, we're very lucky. Frogs in a boiling pot don't know what the temperature of the water is. We, we don't realize that we're unique snowflakes now and used to not be like that, I guess. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's really true. <laughs> it's really true. Well, not to flood your inbox and voicemail, if, if uh, somebody has some questions about family law and wants to contact you, how can they do that? What's what's the good phone number and, and email address for you, John? If people want to call, um, they can. My number is four zero two nine three zero. My direct line is one zero one two. If people want to call, call me. You know, I'd be more than happy to help. You know, I, I really believe that um, the smarter the lawyer on the other side, the easier it is to work with them. So um, my goal is to really have educated people in in the practice area. So I'll be more than happy to answer questions or help people. They want to email me. It's just jslobacek at saalawyers.com. And uh, I don't do Facebook. <laughs> I don't do um, text messages. Um, and I don't do messaging of what the, that sort of thing, you know. And I don't know whether that's old school or not. I really don't have time and I'm a lousy typist. I, I think that's what it really boils down to. Well, Facebook's going away anyway. It sounds like that's the the news. The recent news is the delete Facebook campaign is is upon us now with all the um, controversy surrounding their data breach. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, it is amazing as we go full circle on all these different things. And that's the one thing about the practice of law is we we see ourselves go through these various cycles. And uh, you know, I. You, you asked me early on how I got into the, the family law area, I guess, and I, I will, will say that when I left the county, the only people I knew were therapists who would work in the juvenile court area. So they started referring me cases, and back in those days, uh, the only people who went to therapists were women, so I had a practice that started off as being entirely female. and. Uh, then it became entirely male because the men didn't want women to come and see me after a while. <laughs> then it became a blend of both. But you see how people, um, what they look for and how they approach us. And uh, one thing that I learned as a young lawyer was to do everything you can to depersonalize the practice. And I do think that you know if people look at 
the practice and what they should do. And that is be a lawyer, be an advocate, but don't personalize or don't assume a personal role that affects you emotionally in the process. You have to distance yourself. And uh, the biggest mistake that most lawyers make is they start getting personally invested in the litigation as opposed to doing their job and they then lose their objectivity and you lose their ability to be a good advocate for their client because once you lose your objectivity you become um, vulnerable to all types of arguments and um, sometimes inappropriate statements or inappropriate behavior. The um, the difficulty is family law is very emotionally based and it is hard to separate your emotion from your legal advice but for those people who want to um, really excel in this practice you have to be able to look at things objectively and recognize that you're there for a role and I think the other thing that is important for young lawyers uh, and that is to control their client and to be the professional. Um, it's not just our role to perform tasks but it's our role to advise and give um, reasoned thought to where people are supposed to be. And I, it's if, if we go to a doctor and we have a broken arm we ask the doctor to set the broken arm and the doctor says don't do anything for 10 days or 10 weeks or whatever the time frame is. Um, if a person went to a doctor and said I have a broken arm but I'll set it and tell me how long and I don't want to pay any attention to how long it takes to heal, the doctor's not going to treat you. And lawyers should kind of be in the same role. Clients come to us for advice and we advise them and if a client doesn't want to listen to us which oftentimes happens in the domestic arena, that's when the lawyers should say, I'm not going to represent you. But for some reason, many lawyers have this fear of being able to say to their client, no, you're wrong. You have to listen to me. And if more lawyers would control their clients, it would control a good deal of litigation and, it would, and oftentimes it controls the context of a case. But sometimes um, people get way off track um, in large part because of their own philosophical beliefs or sometimes their social beliefs and unfortunately sometimes because they um, just don't understand the law or they don't understand what they're doing and uh, we see a lot of people practicing law who give advice that is misguided or misdirected because they're in an arena they shouldn't be in and I don't like saying that but it's really true you know we we have to um, do what we're good at and we aren't all good at everything and uh, we have to be very much aware of what needs to be done and how to get it done. Absolutely. Well John, I, I know that your billable hour rate is pretty high and I don't want to <laughs> take any more of your time. Thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Thanks John. Thank you very much. Bye.